We come to the reading um, which we're going to focus on this evening, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll be uh, reading from uh, verses 1 to 22. So that's 1 Corinthians 15, and it's verses 1 to 22. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I laboured more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain? Yea, and we have found false witnesses of God, Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Yea, are yet in your sins. Then they also which have fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all of men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So as you've probably guessed by the two readings, um, we're going to look at um, the resurrection of Christ and, and what that means. So we we need to be aware of um, what we look at now in um, 1 Corinthians. We know that this is a letter written to the Corinthian church. And the letter was written because there was significant issues within the church. And um, if you take a, a look from, uh, from chapter 1 to 14, um, before we arrive here, Paul is dealing with different issues. He's seen uh, different issues arising in the church. He's been made aware of these, so he's written this letter. And he uses 
uh, a method to, to deal with this. He addresses the issue, points it out, and he counters it with the gospel. Each issue, he points to Christ. He points to the gospel because he knows that the more the Corinthian church know Christ, the greater knowledge that they have of Christ, the more they will mature, the more they will glorify Christ. He knows that the more of Christ we know and understand, the more we decrease and the more he increases. Not not that the issue is that he's not there already, but the fact is that when we think of ourselves less, we'll think of Christ more. So this is what Paul is trying to do. He's going to the church and he's writing to them and saying, look, here's the issue, but here's Christ. He's drawing their attention to Jesus. And again, this should be the method of the church today, where there is an issue, where there are are things going on in the church, whether, like in the Corinthian church, there was disorganisation in the church gatherings. There was immoral living. We see this again today in the, the church that we see on earth. And again, that should be dealt with by proclaiming the gospel, pointing to Christ. All the issues that we see today will be solved when we, we, we preach Christ. Either it will draw people to him and to the church, or it will push those that don't believe away. But we must always be focusing on being called back to the gospel. That is the foundation of the church, and from there, everything else grows. So the issue in chapter 15 we see is the issue of the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead. And again, Paul goes to the gospel, he points to Christ. Again, we, we, I'm sure all of us here believe in the resurrection. And we will see again, it will be good for us to have a look at the resurrection and, and, and again, build our faith with uh, an understanding of the resurrection and a reminder of what that means for us as believers. It, it gives us a picture of what lays ahead for us. And like uh, like the Corinthian church, we, we have an opportunity again to, to focus on Christ. So we, we come in now and we'll look at everything that is going on with the attack on the resurrection. And we know in the first opening verses, Paul reminds them of the resurrection. First two verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. So Paul here is saying, look, I'm coming again with the gospel, the gospel that I preached to you, the gospel that I proclaimed to you, the one that you received. And Paul's doing this because he he knows that there is power in the word of God. There is power in the gospel. He he writes in Romans 10.14 about how will anybody come to faith if there is nobody proclaiming the gospel? Because we can only come to faith if we understand and trust in the gospel of Christ. And we, we can't know the gospel unless somebody tells us it. So Paul is reminding them of the time he came and preached to them and proclaimed Christ and him crucified. And he states a few facts here. He says, look, one, you believe the gospel. You received the gospel. You believed it. 
He said, you also remain and you stand on the gospel. They're still claiming to believe the gospel, even in the chaos that's going on in this church. He was referring to them as believers. He's saying, look, you believed in the gospel, you received it, and you are standing on the gospel now. And he says, you're also saved by the gospel. But then he adds, only if you keep it in memory. So what he's saying is, if you forget the gospel, if you go away from the gospel, it wasn't, you weren't saved in the first place. We, what he's really referring to here is that, and, and what we can sum up is the, the parable of the sower. We, when we look to the parable, parable of the sower, we see that the gospel was heard, it was received, but when persecution came, some forgot. When the cares and the stresses and the lusts of the world came in, the gospel was forgotten. Paul's saying here, keep it in memory. If you keep it in memory, you will be saved. But again, it's not our works. That is all done through the grace of God. And this is why Paul's reminding them again. He's saying, go to the gospel. Here's the gospel. Remember the gospel. And only by the grace of God will this be done. We're talking in here about the perseverance of the saints. And again, the perseverance of the saints is not of our own doing. It is of the grace of God. And this is why Paul, again, is pointing to Christ. He's reminding them of Christ. He's proclaiming the gospel to them. Because we, we know that we cannot save ourselves. There is nothing in and of us that will save ourselves. We, we can't even sanctify ourselves. If we claim to sanctify ourselves a little bit, we, we're claiming that we are doing the work of God. And we don't pers- persevere in our own strength either. Again, that is the work of God because we rest in Christ. And again, this is why Paul is going back to the gospel. He's saying, look, remember the gospel. Remember what I preached to you. Remember what you received. Remember what you stand in. He's reminding them. He's laying this foundation. And again, this is a, a good thing for, for ourselves to remember, to think back to that moment when you first believed. Do you remember that first time you believed, the first time you heard the gospel and your heart was changed? The moment that God softened your heart, the moment that you understood the truth of the gospel, the moment that you came to faith. I can remember mine very clearly. I remember the preacher standing up and proclaiming the gospel, saying that only in Christ are we saved, that we were a sinner in need of a saviour, that all the things that the world offers does not save. It is only Christ. He laid down the law and, and, and crushed everybody in the church to, to make them realise that they were a sinner in need of a saviour. And then he proclaimed the gospel. And it was like, because he was, he, he was preaching from the word of God, he was saying the things that is written in the word of God. It was like arrows being fired from the pulpit. And I remember being pierced to the heart. So it is a good thing to remember back for that first moment when we were first saved, when the gospel was proclaimed to us and we had faith in Christ, that the Lord had worked in us. It was a sweet moment. So if the Corinthians had forgot, if they had walked away, what does Paul say would have happened? They'd have believed in vain. It had been an empty faith. It had been an empty proclamation. What they claimed to have believed back then was not true. They didn't actually believe then. 
if they walk away and forget the faith. It was never there in them. It was a lie that they were saying that they believed if they walked away from the faith. They were never truly believers. But just to make clear, Paul then brings the gospel again. He said, look, remember what I said to you and hear it is again just to be clear. That way he will separate the sheep from the goats. Those that receive and understand and believe will remain in the church. But those that that kick against this, we will see, will have no leg to stand on. And it will be clear that they are not of the faith. So Paul again preaches the gospel. He says in verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So Paul is saying, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. So Paul's saying here, look, this is not my message. This is not the, the gospel of, of Paul. This is not my way of being saved. This is what I received. This is what I understood. This is what was proclaimed to me. And we see that in, in Acts chapter 26. Paul is, is speaking um, to King Agrippa and he is, he's speaking of his conversion. And here we, halfway through, we see him um, recalling what Christ said to him. Listen carefully. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So this Paul received um, the gospel from from Christ himself on the road to Damascus. I think we can we can say fairly certainly that he'd heard it previously from the Christians who he was persecuting. But here he came faith to face to face with with Christ, and and he was it was made clear here that the forgiveness of sins is only in Christ. So this is a message that he received. It's not of his own making. He's making it clear here to the church that. This is a message of God, not a message of him. So it's a message he received that he is now passing on to them. And Paul lays out that message. He says, he goes on to say, uh, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So he lays out facts. Number one. Christ died. Paul here makes it clear that Christ was dead. Again, like the resurrection, the death of Christ has been attacked. Some say, oh no, he was just injured and he recovered and then went away. So a man who was uh, flogged, who had to carry a cross, whose hands and feet were pierced on the cross, who then had a spear and um, a spear which pierced his side, then recovered um, after three days laying in a cold tomb with no with no help or anything, got up and left him and was fine. Paul does away with that here. He says Christ was dead. Christ physically 
died. He then states another fact. He states why Christ died. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins. Look what, look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness, righteousness of God in him. Christ was our substitute. For those who have faith in him, Christ on the cross took our place. He took our sin and he took the punishment of our sins. The penalty was laid upon him instead of us. And what does Paul say? All this was done according to the scriptures. This was prophesied as well. This was predicted years before Christ died, years before Christ was born. Psalm 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Paul is Paul here is saying, look, Christ has died for our sins. He's laying out a part of the gospel. That the crucifixion was not just an example of how we should live a sacrificial life. It was a purpose. The purpose was Christ died in our place. The punishment that should have been on us was on him on the cross. So if you have faith in Christ, Paul is making it clear here, you've understood that Christ has died in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, that we cannot save ourselves, but we do need that sacrifice. It has to be a sacrifice without spot or blemish. And there is only Christ who fulfills that. And then in verse 4, Paul gets to the issue that he wants to address. So in verses 1 and 2, we laid that foundation. Remember the gospel, the one that you receive, the one that you stand on, the one that saves. It's all, all this was leading up to what he says in verse 4. And that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Christ rose again. And at the end, Paul states what he did in verse 3 according to the scriptures. Just like Christ's crucifixion, just like his death was predicted, so was his resurrection. Paul is making all, all these points saying, look, according to the scripture, uh, scriptures, not me, the scriptures. And we see this in, in Psalm 16, verse 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy, holy one to see Corruption. The psalmist there is, is speaking of Christ. The Holy One would not see corruption. The Holy One would not remain dead. He would rise again. This is according to the word of God. So Paul is really hammering home his point here. The gospel is Christ crucified. That is one aspect. But another aspect of, of the gospel that we have to believe that is essential is that Christ rose again. Otherwise, it doesn't matter if he died on the cross. The resurrection 
is essential to the gospel. So here, what Paul is really doing is is building that picture. He's saying, look, here's the gospel. Remember the gospel. The gospel is Christ crucified and him risen. And he's saying, look, all this is according to the scriptures. And then we get to verses 5 to 8. Paul then brings in a defense. He's saying, look, I've proclaimed these things. According to the scriptures, we also have witnesses. He he states who saw Christ. Verse 5. And that he was seen of Cephas. Cephas then of the twelve. So, verse 5, he was seen by Peter. He was seen by the twelve. Who were the eleven then? But they will be will have been known as the twelve. He was seen by the apostles. There were over 500 eyewitnesses. Some who were still alive. So Paul's saying here, look, all these eyewitnesses, all these people have seen the risen Saviour. You cannot deny this. And for those that had, had that had, uh, of the 500, there's still some around. Go speak to them. They will back up my story. And then he goes on to say, James, the brother of Jesus, also saw the risen Christ. Also saw Christ risen. And we don't have time, but it would be good to, to have a study of these these witnesses. Because all these witnesses were sinners. All these people here doubted Christ or struggled with the resurrection, were, were distraught when Christ died because they thought that was it. A further study would show that there is a, a huge change in their lives when they see the resurrected Christ. And then Paul goes on further to, to give them no room whatsoever. He goes in verse 8, and last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. What Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, I have seen Christ. I have seen the risen Jesus. I'm sure they knew his testimony from, from when he was out evangelizing. We know his testimony from the scriptures. And when he says born out of due time, what he's referring to is possibly the fact that um, he was not like the other apostles. He did not have that time of ministry with Christ when he was on earth. But he's saying he is also a witness. And then in verse 9 he states, For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now it's really clever here what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, I am the least of the apostles. He's showing humility. He's saying, look, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. The reason for that is because he persecuted the church. He arrested Christians. He had them killed. Now, with addressing this, what he's, he's stating here is that they cannot say, oh, well, we can't trust Paul. We cannot trust Paul because of his history. Because in verse 10, what does he say? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul is defending his position. He said, you may look at me and think, oh, he shouldn't be an apostle. Look what he's done. But he's saying, look, I'm the least of the apostles, but I am what I am because of the grace of God. I'm not worthy to be an apostle in my own merit. I'm worthy because of the grace 
of God. And then he goes on to say that the grace, this grace wasn't wasted. He says, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I laboured more abundantly than they, than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Paul's saying, look, the grace that worked in me made me labour more. Not in his own strength. It was the grace of God that allowed, that equipped, that strengthened Paul to do what he did. He's saying, look, the grace of God encouraged me. The grace of God equipped me. It's the grace of God that led me. These are the things that Paul is is, is saying here. He's saying, look, I'm not doing this because I'm trying to be worthy. Because I'm not, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm doing this because of the grace of God working in me. That is the message that Paul is stating here. So within that, he's showing his authority as an apostle. He's not claiming, as some do, to be an apostle himself. He's uh, out of his own understanding. He's saying, I am a chosen apostle because of the grace of God. And they must therefore respect his authority. He's not claiming to be the greatest. He's claiming to be the least. But by the grace of God, he is what he is and he does what he does. And then we get to verse um, 11. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believed. Again, Paul goes back to the gospel. He's saying whether it was I or the others, we preach to you and you believed. So what Paul has done then, he's provided a defence for the resurrection. He's proclaimed the gospel and the resurrection is part of the gospel. It's part of the gospel message. He's saying you believed it, you stand on it. This is what I delivered you, it's not my message. It's a message, it's a message of God. It was predicted, it was proclaimed, it happened. We have eyewitnesses. We have the apostles, we have others. Go and ask them. I have seen the risen Christ. All this is defending the resurrection. He then, in these next few verses, goes on the attack. He looks at, at, at what, what the consequences are if we doubt the resurrection. He logically picks apart what will happen if we say there is no resurrection of the dead. Let's look at verse um, uh, 12 and 13. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no re- resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? So Paul is saying, look, we preach Christ, him crucified, and that he raised, after three days we, we preach that he was raised from the dead. How come some are denying this? Why are some bringing in this false Teaching why are some saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 14, he's saying logically, if you say, if you are saying that there is no resurrection from the dead, then we have to say that Christ didn't rise, that Christ is still dead. Verse 14, and, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain? He's saying, look, if this is the case, if if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ isn't risen. Then our preaching is empty, is pointless, is worthless. And your faith is empty. 
your faith is pointless because you are, are trusting in, in, in a dead man. If there is no resurrection, if there is no resurrection of the dead, our preaching is empty, it's pointless, and so is your faith. And then again, he goes on the attack even more. Yea, and we have found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised, not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Possibly logically, if there is no resurrection, then... He is a false witness. The apostles, the disciples, those that have come to preach Christ are false witnesses. They're liars. They they tell a story of of Christ himself risen. And if that is not the case, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And they are liars and false teachers. So Paul can't have been sent by God. He can't be claiming what he's claimed. He can't be um, an apostle of God if he is bringing a false witness of God because he claims that this is a message of God. So he's saying, look, the whole thing is pointless. And basically, if that is the message, if that is what we believe, that there is no risen Christ, then there is no point any of us being here, we are worshipping a dead man. And then Paul goes into verse 16. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. He emphasises that point. If you say there is no resurrection of the dead, then again, Christ is not raised. He's re-emphasising his point. He's building up this attack on the people here. On, on their views, on, on this false teaching that is come in and that is spreading in the Corinthian church. And in verse 17, he says again, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Your faith's empty. Again, he's pushing that point. You said you believed, you said you trusted, you said you stand on the gospel, but if you deny the resurrection, if you deny that the dead rise, then you're denying that Christ rise, then you have no faith. And if that is the case, he adds on there in verse 17, ye are yet in your sins. You remain in your sins. So Paul has built up a picture saying, look, if you deny the resurrection, ultimately the consequence is that you remain in your sin. You can't have a dead saviour. You are still in your sin. Our salvation is tied up in the resurrection of Christ. If Christ is dead and is not risen, then he's not fulfilled what the Old Testament stated the Messiah would would do. He's, Christ is not who he said he was. Christ said he would rise again. If he if he's still dead, if there is no resurrection, then he is a, a liar. And he's like any other man. That gospel which Paul has preached, if there is no resurrection, is a false gospel, is a, a hopeless gospel. And ultimately, the Corinthian church is still in their sin. And so is the case for us if there is no resurrection. So when we face God, there is no substitute. There is nobody who has died for our sins. We will ultimately face the judgment of God and we will have no righteousness because there is no righteousness to cover us because we have believed in a dead saviour who cannot save But it's not only for us. Look what Paul says in verse 18. 
then they also which have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who have died before us, who have believed in Christ, if there is no resurrection, they too have an empty faith. And they too have perished. And it is all pointless. This life is pointless. There's no salvation, there's no faith. And then Paul goes on to verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Paul's saying, look, we should be pitied. We're miserable if there is no resurrection. Why would he say this? Well, the Christian life is hard. It's painful. Jesus promised this, didn't he? He said we would have trouble in this world. We would have tribulation because of our faith. We also deny ourselves, don't we? We have a battle within ourselves where if we overcome anything, it is because of the grace of of God. But there is a fight that we have against ourselves, our own flesh. And if that is the case, then we have a miserable life if this is it. And we were doing these things. Paul, in verse 32 here, he says this. If after the manner of men I have fought with, uh, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what an advantage it may if the dead rise not. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul saying, look, what? If there's no resurrection, why, why is he doing what he's doing? Why is he fighting, um, against the, the evil of this world? Why is he going into places to be, to be battered, to be stoned, to be shipwrecked? To suffer greatly if there is no resurrection, if we remain dead. Might as well go out, go drink, go eat, give way to the lust of the flesh because tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection, there is no point in what we do this day. Let's eat, let's drink, let's party, then let's die. And again, if there is no resurrection, think of the consequences. We can see and look at those who don't believe in the resurrection. We think of the assisted murder legislation with the Dr. Allenson. If there's no resurrection, he's right. If people are ill and suffering and dying, might as well finish them off. What's the point? There's nothing after this life. Why suffer? But why should we stop there, actually? Why not take the mentally unwell? Those struggling those depressed, let's end it for them. What about the poor then? If they if they have, have no joy of, of life and are struggling, might as well finish them off. The homeless, the disabled. If this is all there is, and we're not enjoying it, we might as well end it. Life is pointless. But we know this is not true. Paul has shown us, the scriptures tell us, eyewitnesses, have seen the risen Christ. And in verses 20 to 22, Paul really goes goes um, to town and, and finishes off with this point. We won't go any further than this for the sake of time, but look at what he says. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Although death came into the world, and it came in through Adam. You see, creation matters, but that's another subject to be dealt with at a later time. But in Adam we all die. 
but by Christ, Jesus Christ, God himself who became man, we have life because he was raised from the dead. See, in Adam, we die. In Christ, we live. And, and, and Paul is comparing the two here. And it's a good thing to do now. In the first Adam, the first Adam sinned. He ate of the tree. He disobeyed God. The second Adam, Jesus, was, we, was without sin. He obeyed God perfectly. The first Adam blamed God for the wife that he gave him. He said, oh, the woman, the woman took of the tree and, and gave to me. This is the woman you gave me. He blamed his wife. He blamed God. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, gave his life for his bride. The first Adam was, was shamed and needed a sacrifice to cover his sin and his shame, to cover his nakedness. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, gave himself as the sacrifice and he removed his bride's shame and covered her in his righteousness. The first Adam died and lay in the grave, but the second rose on the third day. So in the second Adam, we too will be raised. We will be with Christ in his kingdom. For there is a resurrection. It was promised, it was delivered it was witnessed and it was recorded. So now for us, we have to have faith in the resurrection if we are to trust in Christ as our Lord and our Saviour. For those who reject Christ and his resurrection, they will not inherit eternal life, but eternal death. They will re- remain in the first Adam, a transgressor of the law. But if we have faith in Christ, if we believe in the gospel that Paul preached to the Corinthian church, and by the grace of God we remember it, then we will not have believed in vain. But we will rise again in Christ, the second Adam. Because in Christ and him alone, death has been defeated. In him we are saved. And in him we are alive. Amen.